Okay, I want to read out of Acts chapter 1, and then we're going to have John Mark come up. The former account, this is verse 1, Acts 1, 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he'd chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive. I love that phrase. Presented himself alive. The resurrected Jesus. After his suffering... By many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. I grew up in the church, and the gospel was understood to be the gospel of salvation. And salvation is, of course, an essential part of it. But the Bible called it the gospel of the kingdom. And the kingdom is more about... The king, who's a good king, ruling in the hearts of people. And the good news is we have a king, and he's a righteous king. And the good news of the kingdom is that heaven can live in your heart, and that king can rule. And so Andy began to speak in a little bit about the, the kingdom of God last week, and I believe John Mark's going to... This week, so that's, this is my oldest son, John Mark. Why don't we welcome him? Good morning. Um, I sent my scripture stuff in last night. I hope we got it. Do we have it ready to go? Can we put up the first one? You guys want to stand up with me and let's read this together? Give me a second. Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. Others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely for my account. That's a mouthful. In more ways than one. <laughs> you guys can sit down. <laughs> oh, it's different up there. Oh, sorry. It's all good. Oh, man. So, I feel like I have notes in like a hundred different places. It's because I'm it's working on this message on airplanes and um, while I was watching my kids and at work. And, um, I want to say a couple of things here. I may repeat myself, but it's okay. Um, first of all, Jesus had to learn. The Bible says he had to learn. It says that he learned obedience. Jesus had to learn. So first of all, if Jesus had to learn, then we also have to learn. There are many names for Jesus, but one thing he was often called when he was here on the earth um, was a teacher. A teacher. We all have teachers. Who are your teachers? 
I'm not just speaking about academic teachers. These people can be your teachers, but I'm speaking of much more than the people who taught you math and English. In fact, some of your greatest teachers are not people at all. So who are your teachers? Your parents, your friends, your culture? A mature person realizes that the place... Hang on one second. <laughs> the more you mature in life, the more you realize this is true. That you think the way you think because you've been taught. You feel the way you feel because you've been taught. And you've been led to where you are because you've been taught. Dallas Willard says when we're young, our teachers choose us. But as we mature, we choose our teachers. You know... You know, in school, we start with simple, fundamental things. You know, we start with 1 plus 1 equals 2, 2 plus 2 equals 4. But I feel like often in church, you know, when we come into a church, it's kind of like people have been talking about the fundamentals for so long, they get tired of talking about the fundamentals, and when we show up, they've, they've moved on to something that uh, we don't entirely understand, and you just kind of got to play catch-up. You know what I mean? You ever feel like that? Or maybe you don't feel like that, and maybe that's part of the problem. We step into church and feel like we walked into advanced algebra. And, uh, you know, and we haven't had a class in simple arithmetic. And for this reason, Christian life can seem very complicated, ethereal, or overly um, complex. You know, there's mystery for sure in the most beautiful way, but for the most part, Christianity is simple. Once we apply the basics, the universe begins to make sense in a very new way. And I really hope that it don't come across condescending because there are incredibly smart people here in this room. And there are people in this room who have been with the Lord for a long, long time. And there are people whose relationship with the Lord is deeper than mine and has been for a long, long, long time. So I'm not like standing up here like, oh, I know something you don't know. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying let's explore the fundamentals a little bit. You know, I think that you never really get over the fundamentals. You never really get over the fundamental backbone teachings of Jesus. In fact, the most mature among us are not those who have moved beyond these teachings, but are likely those who've spent the most time with those teachings. Why do we major in the minors? This is one thing my dad has taught me for a long time. He said, don't major on the minors. And what I mean by that, and what he meant by that, and what he means by that, is that don't major on things that are super unclear when you're not very good at the things that are very, very clear. You know, and why do we do that? I think it's easy. I think there's a lot of reasons we do it, but a simple reason is because the things that are clear make us very uncomfortable. I can imagine when Jesus is in the um, teaching the love your enemies class. It's like, do you have any questions? Hands go up. And they're like, yeah, what about pre-tribulation rapture? You know? When he's teaching about, you know, don't, don't hate someone, that's just like murder, you know? Someone's like, well, what about, what about Genesis? And how did the world come out of, you know, how did, you know? Because Jesus', Jesus teaching is actually very, very much here and now. 
There are, there are major implications that go far beyond out into eternity, and he speaks, and, and his, um, he's rooted in, in the Old Testament, you know. But his major teachings, the very clear things, are very here and now. And that's why it's really easy to get into majoring on minors, you know, because when it's time for you to love your enemy, it's easier to be consumed with um, pre-tribulation versus post-tribulation rapture. And that's why you see a lot more arguing on the internet over that kind of stuff and not a whole lot of arguing about loving your enemies. Yeah. Because we waste time with those things that are unclear because we don't want to deal with the things that are clear. But the things that are clear are the things that will actually change your life. Post-tribulation versus pre-tribulation isn't going to do anything for you. Not today. (laughs) I mean, I'm just being honest. It's in the Bible for a reason. Look, I may not be in the Bible, but I'm saying, <laughs> depending on who you ask, <laughs> that, may, that argument may or may not even be in the Bible, but um, it doesn't matter because Jesus said, love your enemies. That's what Jack Deere used to say. People start arguing about heavy things. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Try loving your enemies first. When you get that right, we'll move on to more complex things. <laughs> the theme of the message of Jesus encapsulated in one statement is this right here's second slide and andy mentioned this last week repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand this was the message of jesus this is like if jesus wrote a book i mean he wrote the bible you know what i'm saying but if jesus wrote a book the way we do the title of his book would be repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand that would be that would be his tattoo you know Repent on this side, the kingdom of... No, I don't know, but you know what I'm saying. Like this, Everything Jesus taught as a teacher would come under this heading. This would be what he was saying. Repent. Repent. Man, I hate that word, repent. Because of all the negative baggage attached to it. You know? But I don't think repent means what we've been led to believe, at least not entirely. Repent means change your mind, change your context, change your posture, change your approach, change your conditioning. Any athlete or anyone who does anything physical knows that posture and condition is everything. When I took vocal lessons, I was losing my voice for a while, and one of the major things is um, my teacher taught me I was standing wrong. My posture was wrong. My son Jude is uh, playing baseball, right? And, you know, one of the things they work on the most is how you stand. Is how you stand. Is your posture. See, repentance has so much to do, more to do with posture than uh, feeling bad about something. In fact, I think, I, think, I think there are times, you know, we can feel bad. I'm not trying to throw out stuff that is true, but I, I just think that we have overworked um, certain things uh, for, for reasons that I'll get into, I hope. Um, but I think most of the time, repentance is actually awesome and should feel good, and we should be stoked and excited about it. Right? <laughs> repentance is kind of like, there's a better job that pays better over here, so I'm gonna, I was going to this job, but I'm applying over here now because this job pays better. You know what I'm saying. I, ho- I mean, maybe you do. Any athlete knows that posture or stance determines trajectory. Anyone who is long-term successful at any, in any field knows that approach determines outcome. 
In athletics, people condition themselves to achieve a desired outcome. But we are all conditioned. We're conditioned in the physical realm. We're conditioned by exercise or we're conditioned by not exercising. You know, we're conditioned by what we do or what we don't do. Either way, you're conditioned. Either way, you're being conditioned. In the same way, we all have teachers and everything we think, believe, and desire is a result of what has, of who or what has discipled us or conditioned us. And you don't get to choose whether or not you will be taught, conditioned, or discipled. You only get to choose who or what will condition, teach, or disciple you. You don't get to choose whether you will or will not be taught, conditioned, or discipled. You only get to choose who or what will condition or disciple you. The scary thing is that if you don't choose, then it will choose you. Everybody wants to be chosen, but maybe you don't want to be chosen. Because who knows what it is that's going to choose you. And you see it all the time. It's not a, it's, it doesn't make you wonder why people get into the weirdest stuff. It's because they are going to be chosen by something and they're going to give themselves to something. All week long, you're being trained and taught and conditioned by the powers of the age, by the values of a region. And you know this is true. You know it's true because you've seen it. We all have that friend who moves from one place in the country to another place in the country, and all of a sudden they start thinking and talking and acting differently. And isn't it really interesting how people in certain regions of the country or the state act a certain way? Generally speaking, obviously, it, it, it's, it's not you know, um, a hard rule, but people in the South eat different foods than people in the North generally. People out West eat different foods. We have different accents, obviously. But also we have different, as you follow the politics, you realize different areas of the country think differently politically. Well, why is that? Why? And people actually think differently. Everyone has that friend who goes off to college somewhere else and comes back with these big ideas. You know what I mean? And like, well, that was cliche. <laughs> I totally didn't see that coming. You went to New York and came back and you think differently than you did before you left. It's it's how it works. It's how it works. Because if you, I don't mean that you can't. In fact, what I'm saying is you can. You can take responsibility for those things. But if you don't take responsibility for those things, then the powers, the powers that be, the principalities, the principles of the age and of the realms that you walk in and listen to and read and see and talk to, those are the things that are going to determine the way you think about things if you don't take responsibility Jesus' call to repent is not simply feeling sorry. In fact, most of the time, true repentance is not sorrowful but exciting because repentance is to see reality and actively choose the forces that will shape your life. Repent. Be reconditioned. Be changed. Be altered. Take responsibility for who you're going to become. Why? Change your mind. Why? Because the kingdom is here now. The kingdom was most definitely a buzzword in Jesus' day and age. In fact, because they were ruled by the Romans. I think Andy spoke on this a little bit last week. 
They're ruled by the Romans, by an angry, evil, perverse empire. Ruled them. And every single day, every single day of their lives, every Hebrew person woke up thinking about, when is this going to end? When is this going to change? When is the kingdom going to come? When Jesus started saying the kingdom is going to come, that was not something that hadn't been talked about. That was something they thought about every single day. Every single day. In fact, the idea of kingdom was probably the most pervasive topic of conversation in Jesus' culture. And for this reason, Jesus uses the kingdom analogy as the basis of his teaching. Because they were waiting for a kingdom to come. So when he started saying, whoa, 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 change the way you think because the kingdom is here now. That was the message of Jesus. Everyone is waiting for their ship to come in. Everyone is waiting for this thing to happen. They're waiting to get theirs. They're waiting to be in control. They're waiting to be in charge. They're waiting. They're waiting for the kingdom to come. And Jesus comes along and he says, wait, wait, change that thinking because your kingdom is here right now. Your kingdom is within reach. You know, we use metaphors, analogies, and parables to communicate things that are abstract and make them more concrete or contextualized. Metaphors take something you have uh, little context for, and they give you a context to communicate something that uh, may seem foreign to you. And this is what Jesus was doing, talking about kingdom. He was taking something that was foreign and that people had no context for, or very little context for, and he was contextualizing it in what they had been looking for. In what they had been desiring. So he communicated this thing, this abstract thing, through a concrete thing, through a very culturally relevant thing. You know, and we have a little problem, to be honest, with kingdom because it doesn't mean to us what it meant to them. They were an occupied people group with a regime of people who could care less about them in control of their entire lives. They were persecuted against. And so every day they thought about this kingdom thing. They thought about this kingdom thing, but we are not necessarily that type of people. There are still biases and racism in the United States. There's that kind of stuff, you know, but most of us, are, compared to these people, are fairly free. We have food for the most part, you know. I mean, did you read when Jesus was born, how they came, and they, they were, you know, killing the children? You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean... We don't live in that kind of society. That's not what we deal with. So kingdom to us is not the same idea that it was to them. Just, I don't believe so. I believe it's different. But that's fine because Jesus uses a lot of different analogies, different um, metaphors, and different ways to talk about the kingdom in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I was asking some friends of mine, what is the kingdom? What is the kingdom? Adam Russell calls the kingdom the good life. Ray Hollenbach says the kingdom is alignment with ultimate reality. Write that one down. Alignment with ultimate reality. But I'd say, what is it that you long for every day? What is it that you pray for every day? What is it that you think about every single day? That is probably the way the kingdom is going to want to jump into your life. Is probably that way. Because that's what the kingdom was for those people. That thing that dominates your thinking, that right there is probably the door to the kingdom of God in your life. That's the door Jesus is going to knock on. 
That's the, that's the door Jesus is going to knock on. Paul describes the kingdom as this, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Dallas Willard has something really awesome to say. He says, um, Every last one of us has a kingdom or a queendom or a government, a realm that is uniquely our own, where our choice determines what happens. Every last one of us has a kingdom or a queendom or a government, a realm that is uniquely our own, where our choice determines what happens. Our kingdom is simply the range of our effective will. You all have a kingdom. For most of us, it's very small. A very small kingdom. I have, two, I have three subjects. And I'm the, I'm the vice president. Yeah. I like to think of myself as the uh, secretary of state. But you all have a kingdom. You all have a kingdom, and your kingdom is the area in the world where your choices determine what happens. That is your kingdom. And that's, that's the part of the world, of your world, that Jesus wants in on. That's the part of the world where Jesus wants to bring righteousness, peace, and joy. And if you don't have righteousness, peace, and joy, at least a good percentage of the time, then we need to start asking ourselves, what are we doing with our kingdoms? You've got to start asking yourself. The kingdom is not, the kingdom of God is not a carrot on a stick. The kingdom is not a carrot on a stick. But for some reason, our, culturally, we like the carrot on the stick. You know, I tell my kids, act right at church today, and I'll give you a cupcake when we get home. <laughs> Carrot on a stick. Carrot on a stick. But we hear it, oh my gosh, we hear it on the radio, and it, it infuriates me. I can hear it in the tone of the guy's voice. I want to punch him. I want to punch him. Really, I want to punch the part of me that responds to him. That's why I want to punch him, but I want to punch him. I don't even know his name. I just know his voice, and he's the carrot on the stick guy. It's more like he's got a carrot on a stick. He's got another stick back here smacking you. You know what I'm saying? And that's the act right. If you do right, if you don't sin, then you get the golden ticket into heaven. If you do right, if you pay your tithe, then God's going to give you money. If you treat people right, God's going to make sure you're treated right. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is not the kingdom of God. This is a fear-based concept of the kingdom, and it's called sin management. And you know, a little fear is okay if it keeps you from walking off a cliff, but it does not produce the fruit of the kingdom in your life. I mean, a little fear, if it gets you in the right spot, if I have to... You have to be a little scared to get positioned correctly to be blessed. That's not bad, you know, especially if you're like in big trouble. But fear does not produce the kingdom of God. Doesn't the Bible say somewhere the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? But it's not the maturity of wisdom. 
This kind of thinking produces anger and self-righteousness. And that's what you hear in that guy's voice on the radio. That's why I don't have to even hear a word that he says because I hear the anger in his voice. He's angry. And God probably gets angry sometimes, but most of the time I think he's delightful. And I think he, I think he does get angry sometimes, but I think he's less prone to anger than probably any person alive. And I think he's, ang- he's angry at something other than what we're angry at. I don't think he's probably very angry at all right now. I mean, not that I know, but... This kind, of, this kind of thing produces anger and self-righteousness. And it chases people away. This is an atheist-making machine. The carrot on the stick is an atheist-breeding machine. I mean, I could cuss. <laughs> But this was the righteousness of the Pharisees. This was the righteousness of the Pharisees. And this is why Jesus said our righteousness needed to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. And this is why Jesus, when he spoke about hate and lust, he said, no, 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 no. If you hate that person, you're guilty of murder. If you've even looked at another woman, you're guilty of adultery. And still, with our terrible minds, we still, we just think Jesus is taking the carrot and moving it further down the stick. Oh my gosh. If I wasn't screwed before, I am now. Thanks, Jesus. No, what Jesus is saying is that your system of attack, your plan is not working. And I'm going to show you that it's not working because I'm going to take the carrot and I'm going to put the carrot so far down the line that you can't even see the carrot anymore. They're making carrot cake at the other end of the stick and you'll never be there. You know? Oh, man. I know. Our problem tends to be that we apply old thinking, and it looks just like Jesus is moving the carrot further down the stick. But Jesus is really just proving that sin management won't work. The only way to live in this world without anger or lust is to operate under another system altogether. Discipline is the path But it's a discipline born from passion and joy, not a discipline that results from fear and self-righteousness. Has to be. That's the only way the inside is going to be cured. It doesn't happen by forcing from the outside. And once again, a little fear keeps you, you know what I'm saying, but, but a passion Discipline that Jesus talks about is a discipline born from passion and joy. I have a story. I've, I hated running for 35 and a half years. I hated it. I mean, I hated it. I remember when we had the mile run at school. I dreaded it. And I walked every step. <laughs> I got winded easily. I was always tall and lanky, you know, running. was something that I always, always hated. I hated running. But... I got to a point where I was, my, as I got, old, I got a little bit older, I realized that my lifestyle in my job was a lot more physically demanding than I had realized. Because when you're young, you can just sort of like, you know, break a leg here. And by the time you get to the door, it's like healed itself. You know what I mean? But 
I was like having a, having a really hard time, like not losing my breath, like 45 minutes into an hour and a half set, you know. Um, and I was like, man, I gotta figure something out. So I decided I was gonna start running a half a mile a day. I was like, if I can run a half a mile a day, at least I won't lose my breath so much. Uh, maybe I can get through this, you know. Every night I just condition myself, you know. So out of a love for what I did, for my, for my music and for what I get to do, and because I wanted to connect better with people, and I decided to run half a mile a day. Right? I started running. I hated it. I hated it. But at one point, I started to, I started to feel okay. Running a half a mile a day, it did a lot of other things besides the fact that I could get through a whole hour and a half set without losing my breath um, the way I used to. Um, I also uh, started to feel better. I wasn't like three in the afternoon. I wasn't like, you know, you know, fighting sleep, you know, like um, I wasn't dying, you know. Um, those last couple hours of the day, ready to climb in the bed, you know, like I was like, I had more energy. And then I started running a little further. I started going like three quarters of a mile. And then I got to where I run a mile a day. And it started to feel so good. And you know, even things like, I, I don't want to eat too much dinner because it's going to weigh me down when I go run. And it started to become a sanctuary. I realized my whole life things are yelling at me, but when I'm running, I mean, I still hate running. <laughs> but you know, it becomes this little place where the Lord can speak to me. And no one can, nobody wants to be around me when I'm running, believe me. You know what I mean? Like it becomes that, that place. You know, and so I realized I started to, I still only, I can only do about a mile a day. You know? But I also, so I didn't want to eat too much at night because it would weigh me down. It'd make me sluggish, you know? Um, I wouldn't want to stay up too late because I want to get up and I want to be able to run and I want to be able to feel good because I started to feel good. And so this little teeny discipline, this thing that I hated, all of a sudden this like energy started to grow in my life and I lost 20 pounds and I wasn't trying. You know, like because it's just like one little discipline had this ripple effect throughout my entire life. And I'm a more pleasant person, a little bit more pleasant person most of the time. Now, because of a little thing, there was something I didn't love that I fell in love with. And the kingdom of God is about falling in love with what's good. Because young people, and I don't mean young in numbers, I mean immature. Because all of us can be immature. You're only young once, but you can be immature forever. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? But I realized that was so funny, I forgot what I was saying. But I realized this, when you're young, when you're immature, you think that you choose your desires. You think you choose your desires. And the world really wants you to think you choose them because as long as you think it's you, then they can choose them for you and they can sell you stuff. They can sell you clothes. They can sell you movies. They can sell you food. They can sell you all kinds of stuff. They can sell you stuff as long as they, meaning the principalities and powers that govern the world we live in, as long as they can convince you that you're not responsible for the things that you love. But I've realized in many, many, many areas many areas, you're responsible for curating your desires. And if you can learn to love the things that are good, you can be unstoppable. If Jesus can teach you to love 
what's good. So I hated it. I used to talk about it, how much I hated running. I'm never going to run. I'm not saying you guys need to go run, but what I'm saying is that's a teeny little place. There are probably a million things like that in the world that you don't like, that you could fall in love with, that would change your whole life. That would change your whole life. Falling in love with what's good. Say that with me. Fall in love with what's good. Fall in love with what's good. So the kingdom is not a... Um, the kingdom is not a carrot on a stick. Oddly enough, the title for that chapter is The Kingdom is Not a Treadmill. Right? The kingdom is also not a rain dance. The kingdom is also not a rain dance. I'm going to say a few things that I believe are 100% true. God answers prayers. You can change the world through prayer. You can change God's mind through prayer. Deal with it. It's in the, it's in the Bible. You can change God's mind through prayer. I believe in the supernatural. I believe in healing. I believe in all of that stuff 100%. I think we need more of it in the world. But at the same time, the kingdom is not a rain dance. It's not this thing, well, Jesus says do this. So if I do this right, it's going to appease the gods. They're going to send down the blessing. If I hold my foot like this long enough... If I pray harder, faster, stronger, louder, if I do it right, if I say the right words, if I get the words right. My son brought this little magic wand. I was going to use it, and I thought, man, that's ridiculous. <laughs> no. I believe in all the supernatural. I believe it's relevant for today. I believe it's here today. I believe it's important. So what I guess I'm saying, because what I'm saying is not to say that that isn't important or that's not real or that's not here, but the kingdom isn't like magic. It's supernatural, but it's not magic. The things Jesus tells us to do are not magic. The things Jesus teaches are not a special way to appease a God or appeal to his unique taste. Well, our God just doesn't like... Um, you know, Jesus just doesn't, look, it's, it's cool, you know, between you and me, but the big guy is not, it doesn't particularly like this kind of thing, you know, and so like, if it's not a big deal, let's just change that, let's do that differently, let's do that differently, because he's, he's not going to be happy if he sees you doing this, you know, this is, it's going to make him mad, no, God's not a diva. Jesus is not an incredibly opinionated person with weird taste. He's not like the, uh, you know, only red M&Ms kind of guy in the green room. You know what I mean? Like, Jesus is not just nice. He's also brilliant. And his way of life is actually the better way to live. It's not a rain dance. Do the thing and the thing's going to happen. No, it's actually a better way to live. The Lord um, spoke something to me the other day. He said, gratefulness is not a key. Gratefulness is the house. Do so you think if I'm grateful for what I have, then God's going to give me more? That statement is technically true, but it's wrong because it puts value in the wrong place. The gratefulness, the life of gratefulness is 
better than the stuff you get from it. Actually better. Actually better. Back to Ray Hollenbach's definition of the kingdom is accurately... Does anyone remember that? Alignment with ultimate reality. Alignment with ultimate reality. I started to think about this. Gratefulness. All Jesus does is tell you and show you the way things already are. It's not something you have to believe in faith for. You have to believe in faith for things. I'm not taking the faith out. I'm not removing that. But I'm saying the kingdom, you don't have to have this sort of faith for things that don't exist because much of what the Lord is offering you already exists and you just don't see it because you've been operating under a worldly mindset. And he wants to reveal things to you from a kingdom mindset that are going to change your life. It's not going to change the world. It's going to change your life because the world is different than you think it is. And that's what he's here to show you. Is that the world and the universe are not the way we think it is. Not the way we've been taught. You think, how many of you thought, don't raise your hand, but how many of you thought, man, if I won that Powerball billion dollar lottery, I would be happy. But you're not very happy right now. Probably a lot of you did. I probably did too. But here's the God honest truth. You have already won a lottery that's so much greater than the billion dollar lottery and you do not even see it most of the time. You know how many people have lived on this world? Scientists estimate that as 107 billion people have walked on earth. There are 7 billion people alive today. I think that means so for you, for every person alive today, there's like 14 billion people who are dead. That's a lottery. A hundred billion people are dead and you are alive. But let's get crazier than that. There are a billion, trillion, billion, trillion. Not two different things like take a trillion and multiply that times a billion. And multiply that times a hundred. A hundred billion, trillion stars in the observable universe. That's not in the whole, un- that's not in the whole gal. I don't know what's the word for beyond the universe. I don't know the, the units of measurement there. But what we can see with telescopes, what we know is there, is somewhere in the ballpark of a hundred billion trillion stars. And probably, at least as far as we can tell, none of them, I mean, there, there has to be. I mean, there has to be. But, but probably, even if there is, there aren't many places where human life could exist. But you do. That is a lottery that you have won, that the Lord gave to you. I believe in eternal life. I believe in eternal life. I believe heaven after death, but I also believe by heaven now. And if the only life you get is this one right now, you are blessed. And we get more than that. But if you're not happy with the lottery you've already won, then you will not be happy with the billion dollar Powerball lottery. Because the billion dollar Powerball lottery pales, is that the word pales? Pales in comparison to the hundred billion trillion star system that you could not live on. And that is the kingdom, is that gratefulness is not just the key, gratefulness is the house. Because joy is good. And when you realize what you've been given, even just naturally, I mean, the supernatural is amazing. But even just naturally, 
And I love it. God is a healer. Jesus is a healer and he wants to heal. But how often is he going to heal the branches on your tree when you just allow the trunk to die? The truth is he'll heal the branches on your tree over and over and over until you allow the trunk to die. But he wants is not just for you to be healed. He wants the trunk of your tree, of your spirit to be strong. And he wants you to grow up and mature. He doesn't just want to heal you. He doesn't just want to save you. If my kid was hurt, I would want him to be healed. I would want her to be healed. I'd want them to be healed. And you know, Lord knows, if they were dying, if they were falling, you know, in, a, in the water, in the ocean, I could jump in and save them. I would save them. You know I would save them. You would too. But you didn't just save them to be saved. How awful would it be if you saved them and they grew up to be awful people? God's ultimate purpose for your life is not for you to be saved. Salvation is a door. Gratefulness is the house. Salvation is just a door you walk through. Healing is just a door you walk through. But the kingdom is the house we live in. Do you guys see what I'm saying? But the kingdom is not a rain dance. So the Beatitudes, who is blessed? I'm, I'm wrapping up, I promise. The Beatitudes, who is blessed? First of all, the Beatitudes are not a formula for living, but rather a call or the opening of the gates. The kingdom suffers violence and the violent take it by force. What that means is, you don't have to be born in the right family. You don't have to be, you're not entitled to the kingdom. It's just if you want it, it's there. Just most of us don't accept it. It doesn't mean you have to pick up swords and hurt people for the kingdom. What it means is it's there. As in their day and age especially, and we still believe this way, we just don't understand it, but it was more obvious back then. They believed you were blessed if you were born in the right family, if you were rich, if you were smart, if you were strong, if you were powerful. Those were the blessed. That's who was blessed, and that was the prevailing mindset of the time, right? And what Jesus is saying is that the kingdom suffers violence. The violence take it by force. What it means is... That it's not just for the people who are entitled to it. It's also for the people who are willing to have it. Mostly, or only for the people who are willing to have it. But it's not a formula. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We've used this because even, because even the translators in most cases of the Bible don't understand. The concept is so foreign, they often translate even this a little poorly. As we've seen, blessed are the poor in spirit, we've thought of this as blessed are the humble because we want each one of these things to be good. We still want to earn it. Do you know what I'm saying? We subconsciously still want to earn it all, but blessed are the poor in spirit is not blessed are the humble. This means blessed are the spiritually deprived. Blessed are the uneducated. Blessed are the dumb in God is what that means. Blessed are the dumb in God. But he was speaking to a very uneducated audience. Most of the time, they, most people couldn't read. All they knew of Scripture was what they heard spoken once a week most of the time for most people, you know. And so here, even the very first one, he's saying, the kingdom of heaven is also for you guys. It's not just for the smart, not just for the Pharisees, not just for the rich, not just for the wealthy, not just for the entitled. It's also for you. And obviously, Jesus doesn't want you to continue to be dumb in God. 
But the Beatitudes are not something to aspire to. The Beatitudes are a call or the opening of the gates. This is an opening or an introduction to Jesus' teaching that's often missed. We often leap over the Beatitudes and continue to apply worldly mindsets to heavenly concepts because we don't go through the filter of the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are a filter put in place to strain worldly dispositions and reflexes from tainting a brand new way of approaching the universe. Let's be honest. Who do we really believe are blessed? I told my wife the other day, if I see one more article on my news feed in the news, you know, the news app on the iPhone, if I see one more article about the Kardashians, I'm going to delete the whole app. Because I really don't care who goes to the store with her baby or what dress she's wearing. I'm sure she's a great person, but literally, why does anybody care? Why? Why? All she ever did was be rich and famous. She's probably a great person, but honestly, all she ever did was be rich and famous, and that's why we're obsessed with those people, because they're rich and famous, and we think they're blessed, and we want to be like them. We don't want to admit it, but we like it when our pastors are rich and famous, too. We like it when our Christian friends are popular. We like it when our friends have money. We like it. And I'm not saying we shouldn't. I'm saying the kingdom is something else, though, and that those things are not a stamp or a sign of blessing. Those things are just peripheral other things, and the kingdom of God is something totally different than what we've thought it is. We have thought we're going to take the kingdom of God and we're going to apply worldly principles. We're going to build a tower and write God on it. And God's going to knock it down and confuse everybody. (laughs) Seriously, they were building the tower to reach God. They weren't building a tower because they wanted to destroy everyone or do something. They were trying, we're going to build a tower up to God. God's like, no, you are not. You're not. In fact, you're not even going to talk to each other anymore. You know, Princess Diana and Mother Teresa died within a couple of weeks difference, and you see how much news, how much press did Mother Teresa get? And Princess Diana got, like, a hit song and, like, a movie, and you know what I'm saying? I'm sure she was a great person, too, but she and Mother Teresa were not in the same category. Mother Teresa could say things that would be offensive for anyone else to say. She could walk right into the White House and sit down across from the president and say, I don't believe that abortion is a good idea. Who else could do that? Who could do that? Mother Teresa could do that. Because that is real power. And Princess Diana influenced hair. And she did. She gave a lot of money to the poor. I'm not putting her down. She gave a lot of money to the poor. She's probably a better person than any of us here. But I'm saying, even if she was, she and Mother Teresa are still not in the same category. But she got all the press. Why? Because she was rich, and she was famous, and she was pretty, and she was married to a prince. She lived in a castle. She was everything we want to be. Everything we want to be. She was blessed. She was charmed. She had it all. Mother Teresa gave it all up. And why we're obsessed with Princess Diana is because we want to be like Princess Diana. And why we're not obsessed with Mother Teresa is because we don't understand the true Values in the kingdom of God. And it's not that we need to feel guilty. Oh, I wish I cared for the poor more. It's that when you step into who God is and you start walking according to the kingdom, you start changing. You start to love to run. You start to fall in love with the things that are good and righteousness, peace, and joy become an everyday part of your life.
Jesus isn't saying our measurements are wrong. It's just we're measuring the wrong thing. Because also, you know, there are a lot of poor people who are not very righteous. There are a lot of people who mourn, who are not, don't seem very comforted. This isn't about being poor. This isn't about mourning. This isn't about being dumb about God. This isn't about being persecuted. There's a lot of people who are persecuted who aren't great people, who are not very pleasant, who don't have the fruit of the Spirit in their lives, right? What Jesus is saying is not that you need to just get rid of all your money or you need to not enjoy the good things out of life. What Jesus is saying is that whatever things are good in your life, there is something out there that is better than that. And if you are focused on these other things, you're never going to know the real good life. I have, a, I have a challenge for you. Can I challenge you? If you don't feel blessed, if you haven't felt blessed, if, you, if, you, if you're not experiencing righteousness, peace, and joy, and Holy Ghost in your life, then I want to challenge you. And I would, I would, I would say maybe you don't feel that way because maybe you're allowing other things to have control to hold the reins on your internal conversation. And maybe you don't even know it. Maybe you don't even know it. I want to challenge you for a week to trade Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and maybe even the news for Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Every time of the day when you would that nervous tick, where you check it, Matthew 5. Try it. Make it the natural thing. If you're going to have the tick, if you're going to look at it, I got rid of the socials because I was just kind of done with it, and now it's the news for me. It's the news. Oh, it's just as bad. The same people telling me what to think. Right? I'm saying just for a week or two. I'm not saying forever. I'm not even against that other stuff. I'm just saying if you're not feeling the peace of God, joy in your life, maybe it's because you're listening to the wrong voices. Maybe because you're, you're not choosing the right teacher and you're allowing other things to teach you and form you and condition you. So trade that. For, let's try a week, two weeks, right? Not just get rid of it. I'm saying trade it for Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Take the apps off your phone, log out of the site on your computer, download the free Bible app if you got to, you know, or carry around, like, you know, the analog version of the Bible. I enjoy that. You know, some of you, um, maybe it's not, you're not really into that. Maybe um, at night, turn off the TV for a week and read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 every night instead of watching your shows. You know, do your normal routine, whatever it is, in the evening, except instead of the TV, take your time and read some of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Soak in it. Ask the Holy Spirit to read it with you. And do it, you know, like fellowship, not like work. Let it be your leisure. Let it be your leisure. Just read a couple, and if you're whatever, then move on and then come back to it. Leisure. Do that for a week and every Monday morning. Revisit it and write down how you feel. Do you feel differently? If you really did this, I would imagine that you would, you would watch your own life transform before your eyes. I really do. And if it makes you nervous not to look at the socials for a while, then you have deeper problems you need to deal with. <laughs> That's not a joke. <laughs> you need to ask yourself why you need that so bad. 
You really probably do. Do this for me. Close your eyes. I'm going to close here. Close your eyes. I want you to know. I want you to know. Please believe me. Believe these words when I say to you, you are blessed. Really, 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 really blessed right now. Not theoretically. Not just by faith, also by faith, but not just by faith. You are, in fact, actually blessed right now. And if you don't feel blessed, if we don't feel blessed, then we need to repent. We need to change our minds. We need to recondition. We need a new posture of our spirit. Because the good country is under your feet right now. The good country is the country you walk in right this very moment it's time to take responsibility for the things that condition our thinking and it's time to view the world in a new light Jesus is the light of the world and light doesn't show you what to see it shows you how to see because whether lights on or off the stuff is still there So if you're not seeing it, it's because you're in the wrong light. And more than that, it's also time to become a new light yourself. It's time that we would be a presence that would recontextualize the world for the people around us. That we would offer a different light than the light most people are seeing in the world. Lord Jesus, we love you, and we thank you, and we are blessed. We are blessed because you are good, and we are current experiencers of the goodness. We are current enjoyers of your goodness, Lord Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that we would not be allowed, we would not be given to things that would tell us that the untruth or half-truths or truth with the wrong intent, Lord. But I pray that we would take responsibility, become custodians and curators of our own soul and our own desires and our own growth and would allow you to speak into our lives, Lord. I ask that we would allow you to be our teacher. Be our teacher, not just our Savior, Not just our healer, but our teacher, Lord Jesus. Now, Jesus said, come follow me. He never said, come worship me. If you follow him, you're going to want to worship him. But too often we like to show up and sing the songs and do the deal, and we miss. We do those things instead of allowing the Lord to be our teacher. We let him be our desire. Or something that looks like a desire. Or our fun or our entertainment. And we don't let him be our teacher. Lord Jesus, we want to be disciples of you. And of your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen. We do have ministry teams. If you'd like prayer today. A bunch of you probably won't pray after that message. <laughs> that was really good. Wasn't that good?
Awesome, awesome. So go home. You don't have to leave in a hurry. Hang out a little bit and make some connections. Because you can't make connections just listening. You can make connections connecting. So put Jimi Hendrix on there, Christopher. and No, we'll have a little something to fellowship by. And uh, God bless you guys. So good to see you. Amen, amen. Anyone who wants prayer, right-hand corner, my right, your left.